And we are back. That was Red Light Appetite. That is Andrew Hagar. And joining us now, there he is. It's Andrew Hagar. Andrew, how are you, man? Good. How you doing, guys? Good. Good, Good to, meet to you, talk Andrew. to you, man. Um, dude, I, I'm going to start with just saying point blank, as unbelievable as this is, and everybody is your dad's fan. You know that. Sure. Not everybody. everybody. Not everybody. Yeah, everybody except for the asshole Roth guys that just want to say, he sucked. You know, it's the people that want to beat down. Yeah, exactly. Well, they should have you they should have you in their chat rooms to just whoop their ass for saying such things. I got better things to do, and I would hope that they would too. But I'm with you. (laughs) What's most unbelievable to me, Andrew, is that as famous as your dad is, and let's face it, he's one of is it fair to say he's one of the top 20 most famous rock stars alive? I, I would say you're pretty accurate with that. He's yeah. up there. I mean, sure. he's way up there. Yeah. That being said, I don't know that hardly anybody is aware of your music. Probably not. I mean, uh, I've been flying under the radar for a while now, and that's that's fine by me. I'm not the kind of guy that looks actively for the limelight or anything. I've just been uh, steady moving, steady grooving, and here we are releasing new music. You know, I got a new EP coming out next month, and, uh, you know, onwards and upwards. Absolutely. Well, it sounded and, good, what I heard there. Well, yeah, and that you. that's my point is, you know, I didn't know. I'll be, I'll be perfectly yeah. honest. Your sure. publicist hits me up and says, hey, do you want to interview Sammy Hagar's son? My first question was about what, you know, know, I was like, what does he do? You know? And then she's like, oh, he has music. And I looked it up and there's like, what, three, four years worth of music that's out there on, on Spotify and whatever. I started listening to, I was like, this is really good, you know? And, and I was like, how come nobody knows that you have music? You know, is, is it, and I'm going to make a guess and then I'm going to let you answer, but sure. My guess is it's because you've made a purposeful effort not to glom onto your dad's back. 1,000%. I would agree with you with that uh, tenfold. And I mean, the the first stuff that I released, I actually released three or four different EPs before I used my own name. And all those EPs were different genres. I was just exploring different stuff as an artist. uh, I spent three or four years touring as like an acoustic kind of folk Americana act. So obviously a lot of my dad's fans, that might not be super palatable. So I wasn't really out there trying to, you know, acquire his fans as my own fans. I was trying to build my own thing up. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm still trying to do that. Every time I open for pops, it's a great experience. You know, Um, it's a, it's a built-in crowd. I mean, some people out there who ride coattails will never know what it's like to play like a small club show for eight people. You know what I mean? Sure. a huge part of coming up as a real live musician. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. It's a good experience, even though it might not be the easiest thing to do for a lot of people, you know, most people Mm -hmm. who are out there trying to like fight for their, you know, mind share in the musical marketplace. A lot of people have these weird expectations about being like the next Justin Bieber or, you know, being the next Van Halen or something. I mean, I started a little later than most people and I saw all of the, you know, the bad side of fame and I never really had any illusions about being a big star. I just want to express myself as an artist, you know? All right. I I got a question that. (laughs) Sure. How, how can you be, how, how old were you when Van Halen was going? You were in your teens? Uh, no, I was young. I mean, Van Halen, my dad broke up when I was about seven or eight years old. Okay. So you weren't, you weren't like we're running around and seeing 
seeing your dad on every billboard of every major city? <laughs> no. I mean, I, I was on so, tour with him quite a bit when I was a kid, though, and I saw okay. it kind of from the side of the stage and backstage. So right. Speak, you know? Right on. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk about what you have been doing before we get sure. back to the music, because this is fascinating to me, and I just didn't know any of this. Yeah. From, from reading your bio, you, you're an MMA guy. Uh, I was, yeah, I was a trainer for over 10 years. I was a competitor myself. I was a journalist in mixed martial arts. Yeah. That was my life for a long time. And you trained, uh, Fabrizio Verdum. I was the the head coach at his gym. I was the head Muay Thai coach at Fabrizio Verdum's gym, uh, before, during, and after his reign as UFC heavyweight world champion. So, so, you know, you're saying that kind of casually, I'm saying that (laughs) like, wow, that's a world champion that you kind of helped in some way mold into being elite i mean really uh, and for anybody that watches mma yeah the you know and you know this more than anybody the the lifespan of an mma fighter is microscopic you can i I always point to chuck liddell oh Chuck, chuck liddell king of the goddamn world yeah until he took one punch in the face and then it was over and he couldn't fight anymore. No, it's brutal. And I mean, the, the thing about uh, a guy like that, who, I mean, Chuck was such a, a great competitor. He's come down to Cabo uh, quite a few times. And sure. he's a really super nice guy, too. I really like Chuck. Um, but the thing about Chuck was, you know, he would he would take a punch to give a punch a lot of times because yeah. he has a great chin. And what you, what you see is not necessarily the truth. It looks like he just kind of lost his chin all at once. Yeah. But it happens over time, and then it happens all at once in the ring. All it takes mm-hmm. is the right shot, and then once you get knocked out once, your brain just it doesn't function the same under sure. pressure like that. Then you, you get caught with a good shot, and you just go out like that again. So, you know, it was it was terrible what happened to him because, yeah, like you said, he was just absolute world beater, yeah. knocking everybody out, and then all of a sudden people thought he was, like, washed up or something. And yeah. well, it's unfortunate, he, you know? It is. Yeah. It is. I, I, he was my favorite. You know, when, yeah. when I mean, I, I was an old, old, old school guy. Like, same. I loved, I loved one, two, and three when they yep. would just bring them in the ring three times and let them beat the yep. hell out of each other. You yeah. know, I loved that stuff. But when, when Dana bought MMA or, or UFC rather, and, <clears throat> you know, repackaged it, remolded it, Chuck was like one of the first big icons. Oh yeah. But much like Chuck, the second biggest icon, I think would probably be Rhonda, Rhonda Rousey. Yeah. And she, she, same exact story. Yeah. No one could touch her. She's mm-hmm. knocking people out in 20, 30 seconds. Yeah. And then ran into a buzzsaw and could never do it again. Yeah. I mean, Holly Holm was uh, a sleeper contender. Yeah. You know, obviously she's had her, her issues at the top too. I mean, it's a very competitive division. But the problem with Rhonda was, you know, I think ultimately poor management and her lead trainer, Edmund Tiverdian, um, probably installed a false sense of confidence in her striking and her stand-up. And sure. She was ahead of the game, like ahead of the curve when she was, you know, the the queen of her division in the sport. But then the rest of the division caught up with her. And ultimately, she was a fairly, I mean, an incredible elite level athlete, but in the grand scheme of things in MMA, perhaps a little bit one dimensional. And you had other people in there who were just, you know, absolute stone cold killers. And they caught up very quickly with that skill gap, you know? Yeah. No, it's, and and again, it's crazy. 
when when you watch it when you watch it now like obviously i'll stay with the women's division for a minute i just love that i could talk to anybody about mma because i'm a i'm a total junkie and i never get to talk about it but that's awesome um i i'm watching now with like amanda nunez oh i mean she obviously has been an absolute killer as well but it seems like she's starting to slow down a little bit too i mean she hasn't she hasn't been beaten up yet Right. But she's nowhere near as dominant as she was even t- six months, a year ago. Yeah, it's true. And I mean, again, the, the sport catches up with everybody. Either mm-hmm. people and coaches start, you know, discovering what your weakness is and formulating game plans that will, you know, win the fight either on points or exploit some little tactical error. Or, sure. you know, like you said, the lifespan of a professional MMA athlete is so short because the, be- the, the beatings you take in training – the grueling training of the sport just wears away at your body. That's why so many guys are taking performance enhancing supplements. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's not a a long game. That sport. you have about 10 years from when you go pro to where you can really make an impact before your body really starts to give out on you and betray. Yeah. What do you think of all of these sub not divisions, but sub groups or, or, whatever you want to call it, like Bellator, Bellator pride oh, yeah. one, you know, yeah. like, like I personally, my personal favorite of the moment is yeah. one. Yeah. One is fantastic. One That's is so, well. and, and, yeah. and I, I try to explain it to people. You, you, I'm sure get it, mm-hmm. but the, the difference between one and everything else is instead of just saying, all right, put these two guys in the, in the ring because they weigh the same. Yeah. It's no, it's put them in because yes, they weigh the same, but they also have the same skill set. Yeah. So you get so much better fights because, because you're bringing in two jujitsu black belts or two kickboxers or two. The one I don't understand is these guys that do the wrestling and the submission wrestling. It's like, who's doing that? Who's volunteering (laughs) for that? It's crazy. (laughs) That's a, that's a huge sport in, in most places of the world though. Like, I mean, if you look at traditionally like Olympic wrestling, for instance, most of the best people in the world come from like, you know, former Soviet satellite states, uh, Iran, you know, Turkey, like sure. places where you wouldn't necessarily think of like having a developed, you know, sporting atmosphere, but right. they produce some of the best wrestlers in the world. So grappling has become like almost like the new Olympic style wrestling where people from all over the world are competing in, you know, really elite level organizations like Obviously, um, the ADCC, Abu Dhabi Combat, you know, Combat right. Club, that's been a, a huge thing that's been growing amongst the, uh, the jiu-jitsu base in America. But yeah, one championship is such an incredible organization because, like you said, they pit really interesting fighters against each other and kind of match them stylistically. And it's closer right. to something you saw when, like, Pride Fighting Championships was right. big. And then also the rule set being that it's not unified MMA rules. They allow knees to the head on the ground, soccer kicks and stomps. Right. along with elbows, which is something you really didn't see much outside of Brazil. So it mm-hmm. makes the fight much more interesting because wrestlers can't stall when they fail on a takedown, like on right. a double leg takedown. So it, it makes the fight much more compelling and interesting and probably a lot more brutal for most people. Yeah, it's it's way brutal. But yeah. I'll, I'll tell you another thing in that, in that, and then we'll get off this and talk about yeah. your actual career. Right. I know I'm, I know <laughs> I I'm going into there. this, but <laughs> the other thing that I like in one over everybody else is the fact I don't remember the owner's name, but the fact that that owner, if he likes to fight, he throws him fifty grand oh, yeah. on the spot because yep. it makes every single fighter just come out to murder. 
<laughs> I mean, <laughs> you don't. I mean, you you know, you you watch some UFC fights. Yeah. You get into you get somebody <clears throat> that's kicking someone's ass for mm-hmm. two rounds. It is not uncommon to see them just kind of take it easy for the third round. Yep, they got there, in the bag. Yeah, yeah there's one. none yep. of that in this because. All you got to do is have that crazy knockout or that crazy submission or whatever, and you get an extra 50 grand for your yep. trouble. Sweep oh, yeah. the leg, sweep the leg. <laughs> 50 grand. And, and, and I don't know. I don't know if it's just the, the fighters that are there, but they're not like UFC. They're not Conor McGregor's that have $100 million in the bank. No, All no. of these guys, $50,000 is like somebody handing me $5 million. Exactly. They have you know? a lot of fighters from, you know, from Southeast Asia and other sure. the, the Philippines, you know, where, yeah, an extra $50,000 American is going to go a very long way. So Absolutely. Those guys come out and, and they're slinging, dude. I love that. Yeah. yeah I, I see a lot of hoist, hoist Gracie Academy stuff here in San Diego, the oh, cars yeah. driving around. So I don't know. They must have franchised it out or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Gracie Academies. I mean, that's a whole... Jiu-jitsu as a business, as a business model, I mean, it's not really that profitable to own gyms, but uh, right. jiu-jitsu gyms do have a lot more potential as like a business uh, than than most other gyms, I got to say. So they've turned that into like a whole franchise. Yeah. Even some of the Americans like Eddie Bravo with 10th Planet, I mean, he's franchised that to death and he's incredibly successful now, you know? Sure. sure. And and you can't under underspeak Hoist Gracie. No. I mean... No. Yeah, and especially if you watch the early, early, the UFC oh, yeah. one and two. That was David I mean, and Goliath kind of stuff well, yeah. there, in most cases. <laughs> They'd have Hoist Gracie, who maybe weighed 150 pounds, maybe, yeah. and oh, he'd yeah. be fighting some 400-pound monster yep. and just, and just <laughs> whooping them. I yep. mean, it wasn't even like he would have to do anything crazy. He would just kind of. Get in there and the guy'd hit him a couple times and boom, boom, boom. And the guy was like, only there for like two, what, like two seasons before he he fought in the first couple. Yeah. And then, um, I I don't know what happened after that, but uh, he was so famous from that. Yeah. Ken Ken Shamrock Shamrock came in and that was that. That's right. (laughs) Look, I love, I love UFC and MMA. I watch it religiously. I am a, I'm a, I'm a USC pass guy. I I literally have showtime so that I can get the Bellator stuff. I have the ESPN plus so that I can get, I mean, I am. I have Paramount plus because Chris gave me the code. (laughs) So I'm going to be able to watch your your show. You have a show coming out on Paramount plus. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Nice. Well, well, Andrew, um, let's talk a little past MMA. Sure. I saw another, and I'm picking factoids out of your bio because it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. You were on what is pr- one of my top three favorite shows of the last 10 years, or you were worked with it with the Americans. Oh, yeah, yeah, what, Matthew Reese. Uh, what I did actually, you do there? I trained him uh, for that role, for his title role in the show. And, okay. Uh, I also, court, well, me and my buddy Marcus Koval, who's like the founder of uh, Krav Maga Worldwide, he and I choreographed uh, all the fight scenes in the first episode as well, in the pilot episode. Oh, no kidding. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great show. Um, I was actually, I was offered a position on that show, but I would have had to move to New York. And at okay. the time I was, you know, operating a pretty successful training practice in uh, Marina Del Rey and Venice sure. Beach, yeah. California. Much so, nicer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I wonder what would have happened if I would have taken that game. Sure. But, I, do you think that show... And I love that show. I've watched it start to finish probably 10 times. I I really, really enjoyed that show. That's a great show. And the writing was so smart in Mm -hmm. that show, which 
you you know, you watch TV, you you don't get a lot of that. You don't get a ton of that. And the writing was so smart. Do you think that that show got held back solely because of where it was placed instead of being like on HBO or something? Absolutely. Go ahead. Oh yeah, no, no, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, uh, nowadays in the marketplace for anything, whether we're talking about music or any form of entertainment, I mean, it just it comes down to eyeballs. Like, it's so difficult to elevate yourself above all of the noise, right. whether you have a fantastic show or not. It's like I was just talking uh, yesterday about this with, you know, like A twenty four is a great, great company that that produces and distributes fantastic films, sure. and they kind of have a pedigree for putting out these amazing independent films. But at the same time, like as a smaller kind of studio, you know, not as many people are going to see that film. You got, you know, everybody and their mother seeing any big new Marvel movie or any big Disney movie, which like whatever, you know, that's it's, it's mm-hmm. this thing over and over again. Whereas you get a movie like um, The Banshees of Inna Sharon that comes out and like how many people actually saw that, you know, but sure. the people that did see that were like, oh, my God, this is a fantastic film. It's multi-layered. It's Shakespearean. It's, you know, it's a great movie. And uh, the Americans was just like that. I think it, it was held back a little bit, not critically, but just by the network. People just couldn't yeah. watch it or didn't even know it existed. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's, that's, I used to tell people all the time, you got to watch this show. You got to watch this show. And they'd be like, what's it on? I would, it was on FX, I think. Yeah. I think it was on FX. It might've been on USA. Or, or FXX yeah. or something. It yeah, was like something. on like the sub of FX. Yeah. And exactly. I would tell people what is on. And they were like, I don't have that. And I was like, <laughs> you're missing (laughs) you know you're missing out but yeah great show loved it and um you know it it, just your career is very interesting to say the least thank you you know you know so what is your full-time gig is it music is it training is it movies or what is your what is it that you do full-time or what do you consider your full-time I mean, right now my life is pretty much, I, I do commercial voice acting as well. So okay. I, I do a lot of stuff with that every day. I'm submitting for different projects. Um, I'll get a phone call from somebody and have to do like a, a cold read. Uh, so I do a lot of that. I still train a couple clients here and there, but it's, I don't work with fighters anymore. It's just okay. you know, soccer moms and friends and stuff um, work, work their like, you know, workout plans. I actually train them sometimes. I'll hold mitts for some people. Um, and then, you know, I also make music. I have been doing something where I was like a part of a sync team for a while where I was like the lyric guy. We'd get like a sync brief where there would be an upcoming film or TV show where people already had, you know, music placements and we needed to write songs for sync. So usually I would be like ghostwriting for another artist. Okay. Um, been doing that for a long time. But yeah, I just, I, I do a bunch of different stuff. I'm a really creative person. You know, I consider myself like a real artist. Um, and so I just do what I can to, keep that alive you know what i mean sure let me ask an insulting question which is not meant to be but i'm gonna ask it that's fine i'm gonna your dad's worth a billion dollars yeah do you have to work yes yeah my father never really gave us much he uh instilled a very solid work ethic i had three jobs when i was 15 years old and i've kept two or three jobs my entire life since then so yeah i mean you know when i was when i was coaching people for instance like i mean i was training got six to eight clients most days of the week, six days a week. So I'd be teaching multiple classes, working with multiple, you know, private clients, training a couple fighters and driving all over Los Angeles to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I transitioned out of that and started to play shows, it's like I was still training people when I wasn't touring. Sure. And that was a really difficult, you know, schedule to balance. I ended up having to 
pretty much quit training people for a while because I was touring a lot, especially in 2016, 2017, 2018. So, you know, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I do have to work. I don't, I'm not like massively independently wealthy. You know, I don't have uh, like a, any inheritance or anything right now. Obviously right. my dad is still alive. Thank goodness. But, sure. uh, <laughs> but right. you know what I mean? And like, looks maybe, great for his age. He's not going anywhere. No, yeah. He's, <laughs> he's, he's uh, we're, we're making sure he's on top of his regimen too. I got him uh, a bunch of, you know, little health and training awesome. tips and stuff. Awesome. To keep all that, all that tequila, all that tequila has him pickled healthy, yeah. I guess. <laughs> like Keith, man, like Keith Richards, you know? Exactly. That's right. Well, <laughs> You know, it, it's it's really interesting, man, to me, and and, I, and I'm gonna assume that you're probably happy that it's been this way, yeah. instead of him just saying, "All right, go do your pet project and stay out of my hair," oh, which yeah. a lot of celebrity dads do. Yep. Which I think leads into the show that you're mm-hmm. doing. Talk a little bit about the the show that's uh, what it comes on in two weeks or a week and a half. Uh, it's, or something. it's actually been out for a few. Oh, weeks. is it? Okay. Yep. So it's already. We got to binge watch it, Chris. Yeah, we do. You can actually watch it for free on YouTube or the first episode's available for free on Paramount+. Plus. Okay, um, great. This series is called MTV Family Legacy, and uh, we have basically a 15-minute segment, half of the episode. Uh, okay. I share the episode with um, Draven, who is the son of Chester Bennington of Lincoln Park. Right. So he's got his segment. I've got my segment. He's a sweet, wonderful kid. I know his mom, Samantha. Oh, yeah. yeah. Awesome. That's cool, yeah. I mean... Um, the, the experience was really fun. I mean, I sat down and did about seven hours of interviews. I think originally they were going to do 10 episodes and each person was supposed to have their own full length episode, but I don't know why just, you know, probably network stuff sure, ended yeah. up squashing it down to five and uh, it was fun. I mean, we talked about a lot of really heavy stuff. I always talk about mental health, any uh, mm. chance that I get, any platform I get, sure. but um, they didn't air really any of that stuff. They kind of, <laughs> Took some things out of context, you know, chopped together their own little stuff. And that's always interesting to see what the network yeah. is going to use, you know. Right. Um, I've resisted the uh, the call to do reality television or any of that stuff for years now. But this project, the way it was pitched to me, sounded like it was a lot cooler. And I'd be able to actually showcase myself, my life, my music without uh, compromising my integrity. So right. <laughs> I decided right. You know? Right. Yeah. Well, well, since you brought up the mental health, let's talk about it. What, sure. what do you, what angle do you come at it from? Do you come at it as somebody that's fought with it? Do you come at it as somebody that has had people in your life that you've had to kind of walk, help walk, you know, from a bad place to a good place? Where, where, where does that all fit in your life? All of the above. I mean, um, you know, Mental health awareness and the struggle with it has been a huge part of my journey. I helped a lot of guys who were coming back from various combat scenarios with severe PTSD. I helped them rehabilitate and get back into a normal life through combat sports training, through meditation, through therapy, um, through you know the exploration of certain highly beneficial psychedelics, like all of that stuff. And mental health has, has shaped my journey and my music as well. Uh, I've had several very close friends commit suicide in various capacities. And it's been a really uh, troubling thing for me. So I had to, you know, be really diligent about my own mental health practice, meditation, therapy, all that stuff. And uh, I really just like to harp on the idea that people need to talk about it more. And I like to make the point that like, I have a lot of friends that are from the Midwest, for instance, from communities where it's not okay to talk about your feelings classically, especially as a man. Um, 
And a lot of them now are in therapy and are becoming more emotional creatures with like higher emotional intelligence. Right. And it, it's having a huge benefit to their life um, and making a huge impact in their relationships. And, you know, I just, it's like 2023, the stigma should be over. And I'm glad that we're part of this new era where it, it is changing. The conversation is changing and becoming more open, but you know, any chance I can, I mean, the whole, the whole idea behind the, the concept of this record that I did with Trev Lukather, limited edition psycho, which is right. now two EPs. I mean, it's, it's all about mental health, my own struggles with mental health, the struggles of people in my family, my close friends, my circle. And, uh, it's just highlighting various, you know, negative thought patterns. Like there's a song that's out that I released uh, a couple months ago called If You Wanna. And that's kind of all about the negative, you know, self-talk spirals that a lot of artists find themselves in and imposter syndrome and mm -hmm. just some of the ways that you can pull yourself out of that. You have to master your mind or your mind is going to master you. Sure. You know? mm -hmm. So. All right, let, let me be let me be Midwest um, douchebag that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't uh, always say what he thinks. Sure. It, do you think that in today's world, with the way today's world is going, mm -hmm. that that a lot of people rely too much on the term mental health yeah. and avoid actually doing taking some of the steps that they need to take to just be tougher, you know, 100%. to be stronger. Yes, I, I'm a huge believer in stoicism and stoic philosophy as well. And I think that like, it's important to, to strengthen yourself through struggle. You see a lot of people that are kind of just acting as if that don't really have the mental or emotional experience with the struggle. And I mean, that's a huge part of social media in general is just like, can I curse on this? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Right. Yeah, yeah the, the bullshit on yeah. social media just being off the charts like there are a lot of people that are acting and posing like something that don't really have the substance behind it and mm -hmm. it's like um when when you're when you see someone like i used to have a lot of friends that i trained that were bouncers and like you see people out and about they get a couple drinks in them and everybody thinks they're conor mcgregor they start john <laughs> sure. and doing all this stuff and you can really quickly tell the difference between somebody who has been in a lot of fights or who is a oh, yeah. professional fighter and someone mm -hmm. who's just pretending, right? Right. Like you can tell very quickly who's fluent in the language of violence. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot like everybody speaks Spanish, right? Everybody knows, you know, por favor, gracias, don't you know, all this stuff. But then when you start saying that to like someone who does speak Spanish and they start speaking Spanish back, you're like, yeah. oh, I don't uh, speak Spanish. <laughs> right. You know, it's like if you try to pretend that you speak the language of violence, and someone mm -hmm. who's fluent starts speaking it to you, sure. you can't just say, oh, I don't speak violence. You know, right. it's like, that's not how that shit works. It's too late. No, you're, you're, <laughs> you know? you're, you're 100%. Well, it's like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, and it's not a secret, but I, I was in a in a pretty nasty industrial explosion. Like, oh, no. six, 69% burn, 52% third degree with grafts. Like, oh, my God. Real so deal. 20, 20 two surgeries, 14 oh, months of rehab, relearn to use my fingers and stuff. I mean, it was a, it was a deal. Wow. And going through that now, and this is why I said I'm that, I'm that Midwestern tough guy douchebag. Yeah, right. it, it comes from the fact that when I hear somebody complaining that they can't get on a plane with their support animal, oh, yeah. I'm just like, fuck <laughs> you, dude. You know, you don't know, you don't know any yeah. kind of real struggle when you're, when yeah. you're struggling to, 
make it from today to tomorrow, yes. you know, or you're struggling to not pass out from pain as they crank your fingers to reteach you how to use them. Oh my God. That's, that's mental toughness. And yeah. I personally have a problem when I hear people these days complain about their, yeah. you know, their depression and their, you know, if you're depressed, that's cool. And I get it. And you should, yeah. you should do what you got to do at the same time. I think it's, it's become almost in, in a very similar way to the way racism and racist terms have become to where the words have lost value because so many people have misused them. Does that make sense? I just yeah. thought of a yeah, show, no. Chris, you should have, you should have a show called, uh, give you something to cry about <laughs> you just you just take people that are whining and you just throw them into a blast furnace <laughs> jesus i don't oh want to do God. that to <laughs> dark i got real fucking dark <laughs> something to cry about there you go that's right something there to we cry go about we're bookmarked we're, we're, we're paramount in that one yeah. can yeah. you hook me up with somebody at paramount to put yeah. that on <laughs> <laughs> nice. <That's so laughs> well, funny. well, Andrew, let's talk music, man. Yeah, um, absolutely. You have a you have a new video out there, a new uh, visualizer video for um, Systematic Minds, which is another great tune. Thank you. And, and kind of like I said before, people should go onto Spotify and hear your music because I guarantee people have not heard the yeah the collection of songs. But this is the latest one. Um, tell me a little bit about this song and um, writing it in that. Yeah, so Systematic Minds is actually the the first song I worked on with Trev Lukather, uh, who's my co-writer and producer. I was writing music for years just by myself and uh, had some stuff cooking right when the pandemic started. You know, I had a South by Southwest uh, appearance, a whole, you know, Western European tour, a London date where I was going to do a single release show and all this stuff. And then everything just, you know, poof, right. gone. So in the wake of that and uh, a couple, you know, failed label deals, I was kind of just sitting on a bunch of music and wondering what I was going to do with it. Um, and you know, if you sit on music too long, you kind of not, you, mm -hmm. you, you move away from it as an artist, you know what sure. I mean? Like, and even though it's new for other people, it's just, you know, you kind of just get over it. So right. I was looking for something new cause I wasn't really happy with what was happening. And one day, uh, December, 2020, Trev Lukather hit me up. Um, who's, you know, one of my closest friends, we've been friends for like over a decade sure. and he had just started producing and was delving into that world. And he came up with an idea uh, that he thought I would really like. And so he sent me like a, a rough instrumental bed and I was like, this is really cool. Like I'm going to come down to LA, let's work on this. So okay. I, I drove down and we spent the whole night uh, essentially writing what would become systematic minds. And um, that was the first song we did together. And then we spent the better part of the next year finishing a record together and okay. uh, same thing i had a couple you know labels that were knocking on my door i had a couple managers that rotated through that were making a lot of promises and not delivering and uh they were all telling me oh you gotta wait wait on it we're gonna wait for the right time to release this stuff so here we are you know nearly three years after the fact and i'm releasing this song finally um and now we have you know an ep coming out in june but but yeah, this song is really cool. It takes a lot of uh, inspirations from our youth. Like Treb is more of a, you know, stadium anthemic kind of rocker. Sure. Whereas, you know, I grew up very firmly entrenched in like the punk and hardcore scene and, you know, loved like metal and industrial music okay. and, you know, the harder stuff. But I also, you know, growing up with my mom, she was a huge fan of uh, classic 
country, outlaw country, folk, okay. Americana. So that's like kind of where a lot of my musical inspiration came from. And I tried to bring some of my love of like 90s alternative into this record. And sure. uh, me and Trev kind of met in the middle. And then you get a song like Systematic Minds that's, you know, a little enigmatic, uh, mysterious, has some, you know, psychedelic elements, some, you know, David Gilmore type shit and some, uh, yeah. some just really cool stuff. Some big, big, like, fucking spicy Def Leppard drums, you know, right. a lot of fun stuff. So, yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. for for you, what will it, if when I talk to you a year from now, what will it take for you to say, well, the, the EP was successful? Is it a, is it a number of plays? Is it a number of sales? Is it a number of gigs? Is it already because you did it the way you wanted to? What will make it successful to you? Kind words. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that last one, uh, just being able to do it the way that I want to do it. I don't have a manager right now. I don't have a label breathing down my neck telling me I have to do it a certain way. Like right. the music marketplace right now is completely different than it was five years ago, let alone sure. 15, 20, 50 years ago. So a lot of the people that I've been working with, they've been telling me things that are just not applicable to how things go now. They want me to pay a PR person five grand to get a release article with like Rolling Stone or something. And it's like, mm. what is that going to do? That's not going to move the needle for me in any real discernible way. That might mean I get like 500 more streams. Whereas yeah. if I, you know, if I pay a freaking, you know, digital marketing guy, you know, a thousand bucks to run yeah. like Facebook and YouTube ads, you know, I could like triple my user base and all these things. It's like, it's just, a, it's a completely different ball game now. And I don't have these unrealistic expectations. Like, of being a huge superstar. Like I said, I just want to express yeah. myself as an artist. I'm happy that people are paying attention to my music. I mean, you know, like we don't have a lot, but I have like around 20,000 monthly listeners on Spotify okay. right now. I have wow. probably more than that on iTunes and Apple music. Sure. Uh, we just had a number one rock single in Hungary of all places. Okay. A, a fan base in Europe um, on iTunes. We went number one on the rock charts. Uh, for systematic minds in Hungary, nice. we got 11 overall on iTunes. So, I mean, it's like we're we're moving, man. Like sure. we're having a good time doing it. I have a great band. I love playing live shows. And uh, to really be successful for me, I need to be able to get back on tour where I'm not, you know, breaking my bank to do so, mm -hmm. and right. get get back out there in Europe and play a lot of fun European shows. They still have a huge rock market out there. And the people there are so much more receptive to live music in general. Sure. They're, they actually want to listen. And uh, I really love touring. It's really difficult. It's hard work. But it's incredibly satisfying. And that's still one of the only ways to get out there and make real fans. Right. You know? Like you can do all this stuff on TikTok and blow up on TikTok and have you know 50 million streams off TikTok. And then you play a live show and nobody gives a fuck. Right. It's no, like to right. me... Being a real musician is getting out there and playing live shows and doing it in the moment, doing mm -hmm. it live every night and having a great time and like really making a connection with people in the same room, you know? Right. No, you're mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Now I know it isn't a competition, <laughs> yeah. but is it bothersome to you that the other guy that was in the band with your dad, his kid is yeah. getting all the praise and, and rightfully so. Wolfie's, no, a, Wolfie's great talent. Yeah. He's super talented. But it's annoying to me as just as a fan now that i've heard your music yeah. seeing that you're not getting that same kind of love from the media from the media yeah you know you know it, it almost seems like well why is he the anointed one 
And you look cooler in your video. <laughs> Got hotter girls, too. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. But again, like, uh, you're absolutely right. It's not a competition. Like, I think that the whole idea of a zero-sum game is silly in general. Sure. There's plenty of people out there that enjoy probably his music and my music. You know what right. I mean? Mm-hmm. But Can't we all be friends? God. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And I, I don't see why we couldn't. But just in general, I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about the music industry and the way that the entertainment industry works and mm-hmm. why certain people get over and why certain people have to just toil for years before they get half of the same yeah. amount of attention. But, you know, at the end of the day, like Wolfie's relationship with his father, very different than my relationship with my father. And True his relationship with other, you know, powerful people in the music industry, very different than my relationships. See, and that's I don't know. Hold on, hold on, man. I, I got to stop you there. I mean, Trev is well known uh, more than just being um, Luke's dad, Luke's son. I sure. mean, he, he's well known for working with what Hailstorm and whatnot. I yeah. mean, he's, and he's Dorothy, done a lot of stuff. Yeah, a bunch of you, bands. you obviously have, you know, your dad's legacy behind you. Sure. That absolutely should and again, I'm not I'm not pointing at anybody, but I see Bastardane, the Metallica kids, yeah, you know, getting success. And I see um the the kid um the kids from Slipknot getting sure getting some love too. And it's like, wait a minute, you're making music, you've got yeah. the lineage, and yeah. you've got the right people. Where's the disconnect? You're preaching the choir, my friend. I wish <laughs> I could tell you, but unfortunately that's just the way things work. So no. I hear you. Again, like, uh, you know, I'm doing everything I can over here on my part, breaking my breaking my bank and busting my ass, making there it work go. for me. Right. And that's fine. Because, again, like, at the end of the day, we all have to be satisfied with our own lives and be comfortable in our own skin. Like, I'm a very, you know, whatever, experienced person in life. I've sure. had some pretty challenging experiences. And I'm not trying to sit here and say, oh, you know, people should feel sorry for me or something. That's absolutely not what I'm saying. Right. But, like... I've had my own challenges in life. I've reached a point in my life, in my maturity, where I'm very secure with my situation. I love my life. And even if I'm not going out and playing with like Metallica or something, the successes that I have are successes nonetheless. Right. And it makes me happy. Yeah. So if it takes me 10 more years before I get to go out and do the things that I want to do and achieve my goals, that's fine. Because again, I'm playing the long game. You know, this is this is my life and I love it. Right on. Well said. Well said. There you go. Well, Thanks. dude, tell t- we're gonna we're gonna wrap this one up by uh, playing a, a little clip from Systematic Minds. Um, right, right certainly, we want people to check you out. We, of course, you can go to Spotify or YouTube Music or wherever and, and hear you there. But where yeah. should we send people online to keep up with you and potential tour dates and buying actual merchandise and all that yeah. stuff? That's a great question. Uh, I'm the most active on Instagram at Andrew Hagar Official. I also have a TikTok, and I don't really do much on there, but I will. And uh, you know, all the stuff that I post on Facebook is just an aggregate of my Instagram. So check me out on Instagram. That's where I'm doing the most things. That's where you'll be able to find out my tour dates and all the upcoming news. So very good. Well, one more time. It is uh, Andrew Hagar, uh, Systematic Minds. And we're going to play the video right now. And Andrew, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Absolutely, man. Here we go.